Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11 this morning. Uh, when we read the Bible, and uh, hopefully you're reading the Bible not just in here on Sunday mornings on a screen, hopefully you're reading the Bible in your home, hopefully you've got a regular habit of that, but when we read the Bible, it's important that uh, we recognize it for what it is. And sometimes we, we forget this, but this is God's revelation of himself to us. Uh, we know nothing, very, very, very little, let's just call it nothing, of God except for what he has told us he is, right? We can make up a God that we imagine in our heads, but the God who created the universe and the God who created you and me has revealed himself in his word. And so it's important that when we read a passage of Scripture, here's two good questions for you to ask. Uh, what does this passage teach me about God? Who is he? What is he like? What is his character? What does he do? What does he not do? Uh, today we're going to ask that question and more specifically about Jesus. What is Jesus like? What does he know? What does he, what does he do? What is his character? So that's one side of it. We need knowledge of God. But don't stop there. The Bible was also written to give us true knowledge of us, of who we are, something that explains our human condition. And there's all sorts of explanations out there in the world for why bad things happen, for uh, what is good, what is right, what is morally good and right. But when we read Scripture, what we believe is that God reveals who we are, right? Now, we don't read ourselves into every character, but we need to ask, what does this teach us about who we are, who I am as a human? What are we like? What are our weaknesses? What are our strengths? What are we meant to be like? And today, we're going to see that in Jesus' first disciples. We're going to see what they're like, and we're gonna, we need to learn from that uh, what we should be like. Today, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus is going to call his first disciples. Uh, this may have happened earlier in other Gospels, but today he's going to call Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and his brother John. And now if you like fish stories, today's your day, all right? If you fish just so that you can understand the Bible, today is your day, all right? Let's look at it. Luke chapter 5. Verse 1 through 11, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning as we read a story that is probably pretty familiar to many of us, God. God, I pray that we would consider the calling on our lives to follow you and what that means. God, I pray that we would see you for who you are, omniscient, you know everything, you're omnipotent, you can do everything, you're merciful, you're kind, you're gracious. God, but you're also worth following. God, and I pray that we would, wherever we are at in our walk with you, God, whether we're just exploring this thing, whether we've been at it for a little while or we've been going for a long time, God, I pray that we would count the cost of following you, God, and we would boldly follow just like these four men. And so we love you. God, I pray that you would help uh, your word to make sense this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so it says in verse 1, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, this lake of Gennesaret is uh, referred to as uh, the Sea of Galilee in other places. It's called uh, the Sea of Tiberias. It's got a few different names, right? Just like we call Sam Rayburn a few different names. Don't know what they are. Big Sam, do we call it that? I don't know. Not a fisherman uh, this morning. Uh, but Gennesaret is this Sea of Galilee where Jesus is doing most of his ministry in the first year and a half of his ministry. In Capernaum, which is where he was last week, uh, not literally last week, but in our text last week, uh, he was in Capernaum and it sits right on this lake, like Broadus or Etoil or whatever sits on Sam Rayburn. And just for you, Fishermen, this is a lake that's about 60 square miles. I looked it up. Uh, Sam Rayburn's about 180 square miles. So, Sea of Galilee, not as big as I imagined in my mind. Uh, A little bit smaller. But Jesus is there, and it says that the crowd was pressing in on him. Uh, Jesus has been teaching for a while. Luke jumps into the story about a year, year and a half. And so he's done enough miracles and teaching in the synagogues that he has created quite the stir. There's quite the buzz around him so that there's a crowd following him. He's going viral before that is a thing. Now, many are there for various reasons. Some are there just to see the latest miracle, just to go, man, I heard there's this this uh, magician in town or whatever. Some are there to hear him teach. Some are Jews who have been following God their whole life, and they're hearing him teach with what? Authority, right? And so some are there for good reasons. Some are there for bad reasons, but they are pressing in on him. My true worst nightmare. I don't like, I got a, I got a big personal bubble, all right? So the, the thought of you pressing in on me right now is not good. Uh, And it says that they were there, in verse 1, to hear the word of God. Now, this doesn't mean that he's preaching the Old Testament. Jesus did do that. What, What the word means is that he is speaking to them words from God. He is giving them new teaching 
uh, the word from God. It's not just how we refer to the Bible as the word of God. Jesus is literally speaking the words from God to the people. And so these people are there, and they're hearing him teach, and they, they can't get enough of this. And Jesus, uh, being pressed, it says in verse 2, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, normally, I had to look all this up this week. Normally, fishing was done at night uh, in their day. Uh, and so these guys would have been fishing out at night for all kinds of various reasons. And I should have called you, Clay, this week. I should have said, because fishermen are kind of superstitious, right? Fishermen kind of got their own little tricks, and if I dip it in this little thing, or if I throw this bait at this time, and, and I'm sure it was no different in their day. Uh, they had figured out that it was cooler at night, or that the fish moved at night, or whatever the reason was, but typically they fished at night, and during the day they would have worked on their nets, worked on their boats, sold their catch, all that sort of stuff. And so Jesus is being pressed by this crowd, and he notices two boats, and uh, he took his opportunity. Now, before we just think that this is random, he just happened to be on the Sea of Galilee. He just happened to be near Capernaum. He just happened to be near two empty boats. We need to learn this about Jesus, that he is omniscient. That's the $5 word that means he knows everything. He knew whose boats those were. He knew where the crowd was pressing him towards. He knew this. And that day, he ends up by these two boats. Look at verse 3. It says, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, if you remember, this is not Simon Peter's first interaction with Jesus. He doesn't just meet him randomly on this uh, day. He had just last week, Simon had had Jesus to his mother-in-law's house for lunch, right? And he had healed his mother-in-law. Simon had been with him in the synagogue when he cast out the demon. We also know from John's gospel that Andrew, his brother, had introduced Peter to Jesus. So, so Peter's been following this thing. Peter's been around it a little bit. So he's heard Jesus' teaching with authority. He's seen some miracles. And this day, the crowd comes, and his boat is empty, and Jesus asks to step in his boat. This is not a random step. This is not a step into a stranger's boat. Jesus knew what he was doing. It was in a very intentional step into Simon Peter's life. And I think Luke mentions it first because Simon Peter is going to become the leader of the Christian movement when Jesus is gone for a number of years. This seemingly random and unintentional step into his boat starts something in Simon's life that will change it forever. And Jesus, who knows all things, steps in to challenge and to call him. So physically, he used the boat to quit being pressed. He pulls away from the, water, from the, the shore. He gets on the boat like a stage, and he, he teaches the crowd. Who knows? This could have gone on for a long, long time. Maybe it's hours. But at the end of this, he finally dismisses the crowd, and that's when the real story starts. He addresses Simon Peter, which, I mean, he's stuck on a boat with him, right? 
Got no one else to talk to. And here's what he says, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, that is to the crowds, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus is challenging Peter. He's setting a bar. He's saying, do this. He's, he's throwing out, he's laying down the gauntlet. He's, he's putting out a challenge to Peter. Now, it's something very physical, but we talked about this in our life group this morning. Every physical thing has a spiritual reality. We are embodied souls. We have a body, but we are a soul that's forever. And so this moment is not just about what Jesus says on the surface. Hey, go cast out to the deep. There's something spiritual behind this. And we got to learn about us in this, right? That Jesus is, is going to challenge us to take a step of faith. And that's what he does here. Now, this, this challenge is no small thing. Because I think when I read this as a kid or when I read this most of my life, I imagined the, uh, the bait net. Anybody familiar with this? The little small bait nets that you stand on the shore and you, you throw out and then you collect and you get some little minnows or whatever. That is not what is in view here. Jesus is not asking for bait. He tells him, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He says, Peter, load up that net you just unloaded, thousands of pounds. Put it back in your boat. Get your rows, row out to the deep, to the middle, and then grab that thousand pound net, put it back in the water, and see if you can catch anything. This is, this is not just, hey, throw the net out, see what happens. No, he's putting a challenge out. This is hard work. Remember, they've just finished doing this all night. They are exhausted. They've not slept. They have not caught anything. I don't think Peter wants to do this. It's, he doesn't want to do this. He just finished doing this, and he had a bad night. He doesn't want to go right back to it. Now, again, we should learn this about Jesus. He has a very unfair advantage in the story. He's omniscient. He knows everything. How great would that be to be a fisherman and know everything, right? You know what bait is going to catch. You know where the fish are pulled together. You know where they're spawning or not, or you know where they're running or whatever. How great. What an unfair advantage. I've sat on a boat with Sammy Weaver and thought that. How great would it be to just like see everything and be able to just throw my line right there. And Jesus has that advantage right here. His knowledge is exhaustive, and he's about to prove it. So he challenges Peter to throw out his nets to the deep. And here's what Simon says. Look at verse 5. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, Peter uses this word master. Um, thankfully, we don't use this word today. It'd be, it'd be like sir to us in our, in our modern English, right? It's a, it's a respectful word, but there's not always a whole lot behind it, right? It's just sir. It's just respectful. And so he addresses Jesus this way, and he says, sir, we toiled all night and we took nothing. 
He's saying, I broke my back all night dragging thousands of pounds of nets. I've been awake all night. I've done what is required. I've been out there. Jesus, we just did this tonight. There's no fish there, right? That's the stuff that's going on when he says, we toiled all night. Now, for us, if we toil all day on the lake, it just means we didn't get an Instagram photo to share, right? Uh, For the most of us, we're not literally surviving off of the catch that we eat sometimes. But for these guys, what that meant is they worked all night and they had nothing to bring home to their wife. They had nothing to go buy dinner with. They had nothing to turn in at the market. They are not just physically beat, but they are emotionally beat. They have tried. They have worked And it has not yielded any results. And Jesus challenges them to load up their heavy nets, to row out to the deep water, and to catch something. And Peter, I love his response. Because it's honest, but it's also full of faith. It's honest. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing It seems like he's headed down this road of making the excuse of saying, no, no, like, Jesus, you don't get this. You're a carpenter. You don't know nothing about fishing, and I've done this all night, and there's nothing there. He starts down that road, but then what does he say? He starts down the road of rationality and of reason, and then he goes, but at your word, I will. But at your word, I will. Do you see the faith? Peter has seen him teach with authority, has seen him cast out demons, has seen him rebuke a fever in his mother-in-law, and he remembers that in the moment. And all of his excuses, all of his reasons go out the window, and he says, but at your word, I'll do it. I'll let down the nets. Jesus issues that to each one of us. The call to follow him the call to give up our life, to follow after him, the call to to forgive, the call to live out the Christian faith, all of these things. Andrew, I'm sorry, brother. Sorry, got too loud. Jesus does this for us. He calls us to a high standard And every one of us has a rational list of excuses as to why I can't commit, why I can't do that, why I don't have this. We've got the excuses just like Peter. But the calling to follow God is not built on rationality alone. It is. There's rationality to it. The call is also about faith. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. How many of you have a fish story that's like this? Anybody? Oh, don't lie, fishermen. You're good at this. Of telling the story how you want it to be remembered the day you were on the lake by yourself. And you caught that 15-pound bass, that 60-pound catfish, right? The problem is there were no witnesses. And we know you're lying. 
this day, not only is there a crowd, there's Simon, there's Andrew, there's James, there's John, there's Jesus, and there's others on the boat who bought these fish and ate these fish. And Jesus produces something that only he could. They estimate that it would be several tons of fish in these boats that are like seven foot wide by 20 foot long. It was so many fish that they had to get another boat over to try to fill it up, and they filled it up overflowing. Now imagine the, I don't know what Andrew thought in this moment. I don't know if Andrew had the same faith that Peter did. I don't know if James and John did. It seems like not because they're off to the side and Peter's the one out putting his net out again. But imagine the joy of sweating, the joy of exerting muscles to have to fill up the boat when you thought there were no fish that night, when you thought you were going to have to go home to your wife and tell her nothing today. But instead of that, what happened was such a bounty of fish that would have supplied for their needs for a long time. What do we learn about Jesus? He's not only omniscient, does he know everything, but he's omnipotent. That means he can do everything. There is nothing too big for him. He is strong enough, big enough, large enough, whatever enough to do anything. There is nothing that can stop him. He is all-powerful. He can gather the largest amount of fish together. He can blow their minds. There's nothing that Jesus doesn't know and nothing that Jesus can't do. And Peter in this moment realizes this. This is why Peter does what he does next. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter falls down, says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter realizes what's happening in this moment, that this is not just about fish and getting uh, an abundance and, and material blessings. He realizes there's something way more important going on. And what he realizes is that he is standing face to face. He's in a boat, his boat, with the creator of the universe. And yeah, he cast out that demon. That was cool. Yeah, he healed my mother-in-law. I don't know how he did that. But now, man, this is God himself. It says that he fell down. This is no small thing in their culture, right? He is a, a good Jew, And he knows that only God deserves worship. To bow down, you don't bow down to any man. You don't bow down to any idol. But Peter falls down and he bows down. Right? Every example we have of this in Scripture where someone bows down or falls down before somebody, it's because they've seen God himself. Isaiah 6, verse 5. When Isaiah sees a vision of God, it says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Job, at the end of his, when he sees a vision of God, chapter 42, when Job has this vision of God, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. 
Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Revelation 1.17, when John, at the end of all time, sees a vision of God, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Jews don't bow down before any common man. Peter doesn't bow down to him because he's impressed. Peter bows down to him because he believes that he is God. Don't miss that. People say today that, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, his disciples never thought that he was God. No, Peter in this moment says what he says and does what he does because he believes that Jesus is the Christ, God himself. And what he says is, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Aside from the irony that they're on a boat and there's literally nowhere else Jesus can go. Now, he doesn't know Jesus can walk on water yet. (laughs) He'll find that out soon. Despite the irony, what has Jesus in this moment said about sin? What has he done to make Peter want to be so far from... Jesus just told him, hey, go cast your net, net in the deep. Why is Peter talking about how sinful he is? Because when we really stand face to face with God one day, when we really see holiness, we will do the same. We, we have such a low view of sin now because there's no immediate consequence, because God is distant and he's not right in front of us. But when you and I one day stand before the creator of the universe and our sin is fully exposed, bear, (laughs) we might feel the same. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. But notice this. Peter wants Jesus to depart, but Jesus does not want to depart. Jesus wants him to come closer. He doesn't want to be separate from him. We feel this too when we as Christians sin sometimes. We want to run from God. We want to hide. We want to be as far away from the people of God. We want to avoid all of that. But the biblical picture is that we are sons and daughters of the king. And when we mess up, we are to run to God, not away from him. Because what we know is that he is merciful. Peter also calls him Lord. He doesn't say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Oh, master, sir. Sorry, sir. No, he calls him Lord, which in the Old Testament is the, it stands in place of the name of God. He's calling him Lord. He's calling him God. He's not using the generic term. He's bowing down. He's worshiping. Peter believes in this moment for the first time that Jesus really is God. Now, coincidentally for us, if you're not saved in here, you're not a Christian, you have to have a moment just similar to this. There has to come a moment in your life when you realize that Jesus is Lord, that God is holy and perfect, and I am not. 
And our, when we realize that for real, our, our natural instinct is depart from me. But when we hear the good news that Jesus died to save us, he, he took the penalty so we can come to him, and we believe that, then we draw near to him. We have to see God rightly, that he is holy and perfect, and we have to see ourselves rightly, that we are not. And the only way that we can have fellowship with God, the only way that we can draw near to God is through Jesus, which he has revealed is the way. Look at verse 9. It says, For he, it's talking about Peter, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with him. These three, James, John, and Peter, become the, the closest three to Jesus through his ministry. Andrew's around, but he's not quite in that core crew. And just think about that. It all started right here on this day with this catch of fish, with Peter's step of faith. And look what Jesus says to Peter. Verse 10, he says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. We've seen Jesus and Luke use this phrase to who? To Mary, when the angel shows up. He says, do not be afraid. We've seen it when, when the angel shows up to, uh, to Joseph. He says, do not be afraid. Right? It's, it's a sign of favor. It's a sign of mercy. That there's no need to be afraid. But our natural instinct is sinful humanity when we really see God for who he is is to be afraid, and rightly so. Because what we deserve because of our sin is not favor. But Jesus in this moment when he says, do not be afraid, he's telling him, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not, I, you're not like the demon that's fearful of me and is afraid of me and is asking to run. No, 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 I love you. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to redeem you. And he tells him not just that he's accepted when he says, do not be afraid, but he says that he's got a purpose. From now on, you will be catching men. The, the literal words are, you will be like catching live things. You're not catching fish to kill them and eat them. No, you're going to go catch living things. And there's some beautiful imagery there. He's saying, you're not going to make a living fishing any longer. You're going to make a living uh, sorry, you're not going to make a living fishing. You're going to be making disciples. You're not going to be cleaning nets. No, you're going to be tending to the flock. You're not going to be destined for separation and departure from me. No, you're going to be drawing near to me. He's giving him this incredible purpose for his life that Peter has longed for. And he spent it just trying to catch fish. And he says, no, no longer. Now you have something so much more important. This is a foreshadowing that when Jesus is going to go later at the end of his ministry, when he leaves earth and he's going to look at his disciples and what's he going to tell them? He's going to issue this high charge. Go and make disciples of all the nations. It's not that different than go and let your nets out into the deep. That feels impossible it feels overwhelming. But what do they do? They do it. And what do they see? A multitude of people who believe from all the nations. 
Look at verse 11. It says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I don't know that they had ever had a day like this, so we're going to call this the peak of their fishing career. And at the peak of their fishing career, what do they do? They leave it all behind to go and follow Jesus. Why? Why? Because they believe that what is ahead is worth it. They believe that what that following him is worth way more than they can find in this boat, in this net, in this fishing thing. When we rightfully see God for, for who he is, it changes us. And we leave behind the old and we go towards the new. We, 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 just like we talked about in baptism this morning, the old person is put to death and a new person is raised. The only way that's going to happen is if we really see God for who he is and we see us for who we are. I, I was saved at a young age like Madison. I was about six. And I was telling her this week and I was telling Delaney this week that Sometimes I look back at that and I go, what did I understand at six? What did I really get? What did I understand at seven? And as much as a six-year-old could, I, I understood sin and Jesus and salvation and that sort of stuff. But in some sense, that started the trajectory of my life that the old person is dead, the old Byron is dead, and there's a new purpose and future and everything. That's true of every one of us who chooses to follow Christ. When we walk with God, when we make this decision and we see God for who he really is, it changes everything about our life. Now, what does this matter to us today? And I'm done. There's a lot of us in here. And there's a lot of different situations. We've got a lot of different places in our walk with Christ. Some don't have one. Some of you don't believe. You're just trying to figure out what this whole thing is, or maybe you're here because your spouse makes you, I don't know. But we got all kinds of those. And we got a whole lot of us that have been walking with Christ and have a relationship, and, 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 and maybe we're just half-hearted about it. Maybe we just do it when we can, when it's convenient. What was that? Did y'all see a flash? Okay, I was just making sure I wasn't having some vision or something. All right. Uh, I don't know what that means from God. Uh, thrown off. If you've never put your faith in Christ today, if you're in that boat, I think God, what, what we learn from this passage is God is calling you to follow him. If you really see God for who he is, he's calling you to, to get out of the boat, to, to go follow him. Go follow him. Maybe, you, maybe you, today's your first time to ever show up. Maybe, maybe you've been around, but you, you know you don't have a relationship with God. Do it today. Leave your past behind. Leave your sin behind because you can't hang on to that and follow Christ. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. I think God's calling some other people today. Maybe you've been following him, but it's been half-hearted it's been when it's convenient for you. It's been when it feels good or whatever. Maybe God's calling you today to be obedient. Maybe he's calling you to be disciplined in your walk with him. Maybe he's calling you to take your faith seriously at work, 
to live it out in front of others. Maybe he's calling you to, to another step of obedience. See, that's the, that's the nature of this Christian life is we don't just have an experience at seven in a baptistry and we stay there. There's a rest of a life to live, going on doing what he says, catching men, right? Maybe God's calling you to that, to leave the fear behind and go forward. Now, maybe, maybe God's calling some of others of you that you've been walking with God for a long time and you've known the truth, but you know that where you're at and what you're doing is not what you're supposed to be doing. Maybe some of you literally are to give up everything and go follow God as a missionary, as a church planter, as something, right, for the sake of his kingdom. And some of you, that's where you're at. That's probably not most of us. But I've been there. I've sat in a service like this and went, I can't work for Chevron. That's not what I'm to give my life to. Jesus is calling each one of us deeper, wherever you're at. And we need to obey. That's what disciples do. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray. And the band's going to come forward. Wherever you're at, my prayer is that you would respond to God. So let me pray. God, I pray this morning as we hear your word preached, God, and we see the high challenge that Jesus lays out. God, for some, that will be too much, and they'll leave it all behind. They'll go back to their old life. They'll, they'll think, there's no way I could ever do that. God, but for, for those of us in here that you are saving, God, we know that following you is worth it. And so I pray today, God, that you would convince us of that. And whatever the deeper is that you're calling us to, whether it's to relationship for the first time, whether it's to obedience or forgiveness or commitment or discipline or whatever that is, or whether you're calling us into the ministry, God, I pray that you would be, um, you would fill us up with courage, God, to be obedient to that. Just like James and John and Peter and Andrew did that day. God, I pray that we would leave whatever it is behind that's holding us back from you. God, and we would go deeper with you. God, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we have been given favor. God, we don't have to be afraid of you because of our sin, but you say if we will confess it, then we will be cleansed of it, God. And so I pray this morning that we would run to you, not away from you. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.